You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. Welcome to our new podcast series, Gaia Says No, in which we will explore the nature and impact of human activities on the planet. Join Future Net Zero founder Summit Bose, along with environmental campaigner Angus Forbes and analyst Alex Millward. There will be some strong language. Hello, my name is Sumit Bose, founder of Future Net Zero. You're listening to a Future Net Zero podcast, part of the series Gaia Says No, and we're on to episode three. As usual, I have my two gunners on either side, the, uh, the uh, top team, Angus and Alex. Guys, hello, how are you both? Very well, Sumit. Thank you for uh, inviting us. It's great to be here. Alex? Feeling very good, feeling very punchy. Being punchy, I like it. That's what I like to say. Today's episode is all about something that I've only known because of Star Trek, but obviously Mr. Forbes has got it in his head. The word Nexus. There was a terrible Star Trek movie where there was this kind of Nexus which transformed time and sort of the the captain went back in time. It was was quite a hilarious film. So tell us what the Nexus means, Angus, and why you think we should be talking about it. Well, the way I see the, the word nexus is, is really interface between humanity and the biosphere or planet Earth. For the last, you know, for the unknown future since the Holocene, the last 10, 11,000 years of the Holocene, since the last ice age, nature, of course, has always been in the ascendancy. Humans have, you know, scraped a living um, across the planet wherever they've resided. But in this last century, things have changed in that we have joined Mother Nature in driving the planet. We've become so big, so pervasive. We live in the four corners of the earth. And so suddenly it's, it's as if there's an interface between humanity and nature that's almost equal. Um, and, and so in a way, the word nexus for me is like the nape of a, an hourglass. Yeah. You know, we've reached that special point now which we have never been in before, not 11,000 years ago, not 5,000 years ago with the Egyptians, not 2,000 years ago with the Romans. But right now, for the first time, we've reached a nexus and we have to make some very serious decisions. Are we in control? We're not in control insofar as the earth rotates around the sun, we get the amount of energy that comes emitted from the sun that hits the earth. But what we can do, barring that, although there's an argument to say that we could control the amount of sunlight that hits earth through cloud formation, through shielding in the future. But if we leave that aside, all of the other functions of the healthy planet, we can now affect. So. I think we're in partnership with Mother Nature as to the ability for Earth to sustain life. What's your take on this, Alec? Uh, yeah, I agree with that conclusion. I often use this phrase with the term stress in front of it, the so stress nexus. And when you have a look at the scientists that I mentioned them before, the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, They conclude with a high degree of confidence that humankind have been driving 
uh, a lot of that stress into the nexus, into that system. With the consumption of natural capital and natural resource, a rate which is somewhere between one and a half and two planets worth of resource. So we're withdrawing from the bank, which Mother Nature, at a greater rate than it was created, which by definition is unsustainable. And the scientists uh, who support that theory, which is the vast majority, show that that then becomes an, an unsustainable tipping point you know, within the reasonable foreseeable future. I mean, we could say that all of that is true, but we could also say if you look at you know, what's happened recently with the coronavirus pandemic, how quickly the planet has recovered, you know. So have we re are we really that destructive? Because someone cynical would say, hang on a second, if it was that bad, you wouldn't see the skies clearing over the Himalayas so quickly, we wouldn't see the fish back in the rivers, all these things, you know, it's all temporary. We're, you know, we, we're like a kind of a, a light scab on the planet rather than really wounding it. What, what, what's your take on that sort of? argument that actually we aren't doing things that are terribly irreversible for the planet's well-being um i think that's I, I think that's a really valid point but i mean my, my immediate thought is well you know we've had eight weeks off um haven't we we've lightened the load and there's no yeah. there's no northern white rhino is there yep right True. it, it yep. hasn't come back from extinction it went nope. extinct one year ago mm. um, so yes there'll be a response for sure you know life goes on um but there's you know tar sands haven't been cleaned up whale populations which are minus 90 percent from a century ago they got a lot of procreation to do yeah so we see little we see little effects such as particulate matter matter and air pollution you're absolutely right but we got to give the planet a, a lot of help to properly uh, get back to a healthy state. I mean, my, my view is, I, I do agree with both of you that I think we, we have, you know, in the history of this planet, you'd think about the most dominant animal species, well, if you call them a species, there were various types, but the dinosaurs, right? So between sort of the, the Triassic to the Jurassic, and then if you go smaller, you go to bacterial level viruses, obviously viruses we know, been around pretty much since since life sort of started on the planet so and we could talk about things like i read a really good book about kind of how the primordial planet was influenced by bacteria that learnt to create oxygenation yeah the oxygenation from these big sort of stacks that were the volcanic stacks under underwater and the creation of, of, of oxygen that created what they call the great oxygenation so you know you can conceptualize actually that animals whatever we call ourselves creatures viruses bacteria living things can influence the planet do you actually believe we're at a stage where we now you said angus at the beginning that we're kind of like we're in the driving seat with mother nature do you really think we've got that much influence as opposed to some of the things that have happened in the, in the past, you know, geological history. I'm not sufficient expert to answer that, you know, conclusively as with regard to propagation of bacteria and, 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 and life forms. But we're being told, aren't we? We've been told in the last 10, 20, 30 years that we can wipe out all life on this planet if we want. 
So maybe yeah. not necessarily we yeah. can be the creators of life, but we can certainly be the destroyers of life. Yep, so, without doubt. Without a doubt, right? So a lot of animal species, for example, when they procreate, it depends on um, the temperature, whether they produce male or female offspring. You know, there's like a one degree temperature change depending on the circumstances will produce male or female. So if we heat, continue to heat the planet, they'll only produce one sex, you know, for example, and, yeah. and it, will, it will die out. We have 75,000 man-made chemicals right now, and the forecast for 2050 is 150,000 man-made chemicals. So one of those is wrong and, and can wipe out, you know, various species. You know, we are, we're getting more influential and getting stronger. Yeah, my, my view on all of this is, I think there is a strong correlation, and I'll share some figures in a minute. But equally, I think because we are in the co-pilot seat, um, we can actually influence it and can make some choices which sustain it. I think the planet will outlast us. So it's about whether the planet becomes sustainable for human life. I think you know, the planet will recover. Yes. I read a report that even with this massive lockdown, carbon intensity, i.e. the rate of carbon emissions, has only reduced by approximately 15% during lockdown, which yeah. just shows the scale of what sort of happens in the back, quiet background. But you're sort of coming back to the, the correlation between you know, human population and taking the debit from nature's bank. But there's a period by a number of very erstwhile authors who've termed the period between 1950 and 2010 as the great acceleration. And in that greatest acceleration, there's been some fantastic human achievements. Quality of life has improved. Longevity of life has improved. Wealth and health has improved significantly. So there's been some massive acceleration on, on human benefit. But in, in, in that period, 1950-2010, world population quadrupled. Uh, GDP, you know, off the charts. And then we start to look at some of the, the debits uh, taken out. You know, the number of large dams has you know, more than uh, quadrupled as well, from around about a thousand large dams to seven thousand large dams, and and the consequential habitat loss through mm -hmm. that. Water consumption has gone up uh, fourfold. Carbon dioxide has gone up from three hundred parts per million to three, you know, nearly 400 parts per million. Nitrous oxide doubled. Uh, methane, a much more you know, dangerous gas, doubled. Uh, in that period, ozone continues to deplete, and the, you know, we've seen the consequential uh, earth surface rise, ocean acidification uh, doubled, uh, consumption of fish more than quadrupled over that period, and the ramp up. If you sort of look at these graphically on a graph, all of them have got like a hockey stick curve with very low numbers in the 1900, and then a hockey stick curve, which yeah. on average starts around 1950. Some of you and I grew up in similar areas. We probably teased the, the Soho Trustafarians. <laughs> we did. Them, I certainly them, did. <laughs> a few of them who then went and spanked generations of the family's wealth in yeah. some party-fueled craze in just a couple of years. Mm. Um, yeah, they, they, they've taken out more than they've put in, and, and that's what we're doing. I, I've, I've got huge optimism of our ability to redress that balance. Um, and notwithstanding the extinction point that Angus makes, that for the, the natural habitat 
to restore its balance of the right amount of carbon dioxide, methane, uh, nitrous oxide, etc. And I think you know, we have the ability to reforest in creative ways in in cities like Singapore has done, uh, not just in reforesting a sort of you know, field land. I think you know I can see a lot of the positives, right? So if you look at it, we we're selfish, right? Let's be honest, we're all selfish, and humans as a species are selfish. So we have, you know, I'm an example. I probably wouldn't have been born uh, 100 years ago because I was born by C-section. My mum was in deep difficulty giving birth to me and it was modern medicine, well, modern <laughs> 50 odd years ago, but modern medicine that saved me. How many children have been born? Because we now have the science, we now have the chemicals, we now have the plastics, we now have all the structures that allow us to live we can now feed people in places as you said guys that you know hopefully the things that we saw you know when we were teenagers the famine of ethiopia i know famines do exist but now they're normally caused because we're destroying through wars and creating issues rather than you know complete destruction just because of of, of nature we, we've learned to do some things so i can see all of the things that you know if i put in one side the positives at the expense clearly of 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 the planet um it's a hard one for us to try and you know i want to look positive in in, in a moment but it's a hard <coughs> one for us to say that was wrong really isn't it because it's given us all you know we all have children we've all you know got lives we've all had holidays we've all been able to travel we've been commu we're communicating we've done all these things to bring us closer there had to be a price to pay well it was the method in which we did it wasn't it i mean it was very natural uh, very progressive yeah. and it, and in a way uh, you know the advancements in the west have also um become an invitation for yeah. the developing populations of the world to join us in that absolutely absolutely exactly what we said in the first episode my, my, my relatives in india want to have why, why, why wouldn't they want to have air conditioning and, and exactly exactly but it's a matter of also maturity of of the world's population to recognize what's happened in the last 50 75 years is not sustainable and and to look to the future with optimism as you said alex quite rightly that we can we can achieve both uh the warnings we have to be also very very uh down to earth and that the warnings are extremely dire and if you don't have a life support system, if you don't have a, a healthy biosphere, then you're not going to have an economy and you're not going to have progress. And I think that is also a lesson from coronavirus, isn't it? If, if the human body or the population is not healthy, you can't have an economy. And so if you take that back one derivative, if you don't have a healthy planet, you don't have a healthy population, you don't have a healthy economy and, and progress. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's just a matter of saying, okay, that's where we are. Let's make sure that this planet is healthy for the next 1,000 years. And, and then we can all get on with doing what we want to do. Do you feel guilty about the life you've had, Alex? Uh, certainly, I'm much more aware of my consumption and my choices that have contributed to those outcomes in, the, in that great acceleration. Uh, so yeah, no, there, there's a guilt and there's a desire to, as Angus says, pay my dues. You know, the, the contribution to that debit 
and the consumption of that debit from Mother Nature has overwhelmingly come from a, a minority group of the yes. world's population. That, that's the thing, isn't it? There, there, there is this thing, whether you call it uh, imperialism, whatever you call it, you know, there's a tiny proportion of people who have generally in the West and generally white have really, really succeeded through this t period. And then people who are, have come and lived there, like my family did, we've benefited from it. And slowly the, the, the parts of the world are trying to catch up. And yet now there could be an er element of condescension from these very same people saying, well, no, 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 you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't build those power stations in China or India or chop down the rainforest in Brazil because you, you shouldn't be doing this. You should be looking after the planet. Yeah. Yeah, you're so right. And, and, and Sumit, that's why you, you wisely invited us to, to have a <laughs> session called, you know, sort of, you know. We're all bastards. <laughs> we're all bastards, you know. And, but it is, it, is, it is extra, excuse me, I think I've got a, a fighter jet just going over the house. Nice, excellent. Well, yeah. think about the fuel, the carbon that's, profile of that thing. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> the French, French fighter jets do a, do a flyby, which is quite exciting when they do. So that, that's what that background noise was. But it is, it is uh, difficult, isn't it? When yes. right now we have essentially an ecological deficit at the same time as such concentrated wealth. Correct. Uh, because there's, you know, we all know that what I think the latest statistic is that eight white men, with the emphasis yes. on white, eight okay. white men now have the same wealth as 3.8 billion people. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? It's incredible. And so when you're coming to approach an intergenerational obligation, when you're coming yeah. to approach a global commons, it's very hard to compartmentalize those two facts. But I think we, sh I think we should uh, separate them um, and, and do one at a time. We're gonna have an episode talking about sort of governance and, and, and people, but just on that point, guys, I mean, that is the issue, isn't it? That you go, point one, we're influencing the planet. In fact, we're, we're so much influencing it, as you say, we're, 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 we're at the nexus, we're, we're the co-pilot. Point two is there's a small minority of us that have really done well out of it. And point three is we now want the rest of the planet not to do it. And so however much we may be thinking, and I'm going back to my selfish point, governments, people will, will be thinking about themselves and be thinking, this is a little bit unfair, isn't it? That we're being asked to, this is why all these things around planetary agreements around carbon are so difficult because you've got economies all moving at different times and in different developmental stages. That, that's going to be a tricky one for us, you know, to, to reset this nexus, isn't it? I'll have a go if I may, Alex. Um, <laughs> I um, thought you were Angus. Well, yes, yeah, sorry. I've seen a rhythm appear, actually. I, I sort of blurt out an answer, and then Alex comes along a minute ago and gives later and gives a far more measured, intelligent response. So I think it's a quite, we've got a quite a good system going, actually. We do, we do. The, 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 the gob, the passionate one, and, and the thinker. It's good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, first of all, I think a line in the sand has to be drawn somewhere. On, by who? On, who? By who? By, by, by the by, the global population. 
you know, yeah. you know, we could wait till India's at $30,000 GDP per capita, yeah. China's at $30,000 yeah. GDP per capita, and we could, we could wait till that. And, and then Indonesia will complain that they're at $18,000 per yeah. GDP yeah. per capita. Yeah, yeah, I get, so I get There will me. never be a point of pari passu. But there is a point at which humanity goes, we are in the ship. And we can, through a, a collaboration, um, by writing the future together, we can put in um, global rules and boundaries for the whole of humanity. And it may not be, it, and I believe that various populations will respond differently and uh, to that. So it may well be that the Indian population being so diverse, uh, being so efficient, you know, having 1.4 billion people on a small subcontinent will do extremely well in areas of energy efficiency. It may be that the, the Chinese do well in another area and it may be well that the Americans do, a, a do well in, in a third area. Yeah. So by putting the whole of population onto set biophysical boundaries is is i think will accelerate growth it, you know it will be a net positive and it was not saying hey you cannot consume uh to the lower wealthy nations i i really don't believe that it's just like there's a there comes a point in time where you've got to face a fact alex what's what's your uh, measured response <laughs> It's an inequality question, isn't it? It's like, you've had it now, you've had it good, now you want me not to. Yeah, so there needs to be an and in here, and, and recognising there's different choices and there's different paths to attainment. So I, I like to try and bring it down from under 7 billion and down to you know, sort of a few people. You know, one person might have a no-fly personal policy, which is great, but catches a train to work every day. Yeah. Another person says, no, 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 that train is too much. It's also contributing to carbon consumption with its manufacturer, with how the energy is done, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that's too far. You know, people have criticized you know, some of the Extinction Rebellion for flying into the protests. And all of them are sort of you know, reasonably valid because different people are at different points in the nexus and the different, they've drawn different amounts out of the nature's capital. Yeah. So therefore, you know, how, how do you balance those choices when every single person on the planet has the right to clean air, fresh water and, and food? Um, and we've done it with wealth. We've actually set an absolute minimum. Uh, the UN, to its credit, set a goal halving poverty between 1990 and 2015 uh, and actually exceeded its goal. 36% of the world's population lived on less than $1.25 a day, less than $500 per year wow and you know that's down to 12 percent. that's still nearly a billion people and too many on less than a dollar 25 a day so we've been able to sort of quantify that in the, the universal currency of, of money but you know kuznet who invented the gdp uh, you know great system that's driven a lot of that benefit that you talked about we're living longer we're living healthier we're having it all yep. In, yep. in certain communities you know it, there's a small little note in, in his early introduction that says economy is not a measure of the well-being of a nation or a society you know, so don't use it for everything and i think the un sustainability goals are a good and bold structure there's so many different frameworks so many different ones i think we could do with rationalizing on standardizing on one the un's a good one i think given that most nations contribute to it and they've, they've tried to say what is the absolute minimum for 
clean water, for equality, for carbon emission, for access to energy, affordable energy. And in addition to the $1.25 absolute minimum to eliminate extreme poverty, they put all those measures across a balance. So I think that the what is quite clear. The how do you get nearly 8 billion people, all of whom have a, an individual opinion, to decide how and what that balance is between populations is, is the hard bit. That's, that's the bit where I don't, I don't see an easy answer. It's possible the, that what is known, you know, we know how to do it, it can be done. It's, it's humankind coming together to decide to do it and how to do it. That's the hard bit I, I have difficulty with. And that we will explore in the next episode. But before we end this one, can we, we, we said we want to be positive. Do you think we're smart enough now to reverse some of the shit we've been doing, guys? Uh, could we help our planet recover if we had the will to do it? So technologically, are we there? Are we that good a co-pilot that we could try and bring back species? We could bring, uh, yeah, as you said, whales back. We could try and clean up our sewers, our rivers, our water, our air, make our food far less of a profile, stop doing things that, you know, cause such harm to animals all these things do you think we could actually do those forget the will the actual technological ways to reverse some of the things we've done as you said during this great acceleration oh uh, 100 percent. the bringing back a species might be pretty difficult uh but Jurassic park. <laughs> yeah, Jurassic park exactly but the repopulating of of species is, yeah. Yeah, for sure and yeah, lightening our aggregate industrial metabolism. Yeah, there's so many incredible things that you read about plant-based packaging. And yeah. uh, I mean, you, when you read them, you just go, oh my goodness, are people really doing that? I just can't believe it, you know? Um, so when it's set within a framework, you know, I think we've got, we've got everything we need to do a full reversal. We have satellites, We've got, you know, um, radar, you, you know, there's just incredible resources at our disposal to move. And what I think, uh, and I know this is a leading on to the next episode, is that we've got precedent. We've got precedent of improvement, of material improvement by humans, uh, which normally comes in, in the form of governance and regulatory change to shunt the whole of humanity or a large populace in a certain better direction. So not only have we got the ability, uh, but we've also got the precedent. And do you think we've got, as you say, you know, you look at some of the things that people talk about, the, the hardest thing is doing that science, which I've, I've, I'm a big believer in science, I always have been, and I know science has a cost. We know that, you know, the cost of renewables in terms of the rare earth materials, and we'll talk about in another episode. All of those things, we do know those things are there. But when you're trying to shift from very, very bad to less bad to hope slightly better, um, do you think that the kind of whole thing is that we could still do this without doing the one thing that pisses people off, denial, yeah? So you can do this and you can still do the things you want to have. Because that's the real thing, isn't it? reversing but not putting us in denial because right now we're, we're, we're reversing things but we're all living a life of denial we're not going out we're not doing anything we're not 
playing sport we're not you know but we're doing oh, something for the planet yeah do, do you think we've got that ability I'll, I'll give an opinion I, I, I think i'd say yes to the science particularly for the environment and re restocking you know mother nature's natural capital yeah. Yeah, uh, I I think we're so capable. We've actually got two stabs at it. Uh, we've got one, which is the recommended path, which is do it earlier. And mitigation is always cheaper um, and less costly in lives than adaptation and adjustment. And you know the, the goals there are quite clear. Just take one on carbon emissions. You know we have the technology to be able to reduce carbon emissions by the 50, 70 percent recommended by 2050 and get to net zero by 2100. And if we leave it late, I think we'll still have the ability to do that, but it just costs a lot more and would have cost a lot more lives. When it comes to the choice at the scale, the one I'm perhaps I would say is, I, I don't think we can restore the planet in the way it used to be with what's estimated to be a peak population of 10 to 11 billion people. You know, As people seek to feed themselves and farm, land they are going to encroach in certain animal species natural habitat you know there's, there's fewer tigers roaming around where they come into that interface that nexus with humans and humans will always win that battle uh, so i'm not as convinced we can in making those choices and, and not having as much denial from the human quality of life necessarily restore the the roaming grounds of all the elephants as you know, just one example. But I think we can get the environment and the oceans back in balance. Yeah, no, I think you're right, Alex. I, you know, we won't go back to the world of 500 or 1,000 years ago, you know, when there was only, you know, 250 million humans on the planet, you know. Of course. Uh, it will never, it'll never happen like that. But when the boundaries are in place and when the, when the vision is implanted in people's mind and the objectives uh, for the modern world, for this next millennia are, are laid down, then I think we'll achieve those comfortably. And that's all about people getting together, which is what we're going to discuss in the next episode. My thanks to Alex and my thanks to Angus. Thanks for listening into this Future Net Zero podcast and tune in. Make sure you subscribe and go to the site futurenetzero.com, all about how we can try and improve our planet while keeping us all healthy and safe. You've been listening to Gaia Says No, a Future Net Zero podcast. Please subscribe to Future Net Zero and this series for more updates. Future Net Zero, better business, better planet.